Well, three years ago, almost to the day, I stood up here and we launched 2020. Do you remember 2020? <laughs> now, if you were here, you might remember um, Coops. Paul Cooper had just joined us as a, as a new minister. And back then, there was about 230 of us, uh, so quite a few more. And we were, we were getting ready, gearing up to send out the church plant, Paraka, uh, with, with Scott as the minister, later that year. And on that Sunday, um, you'll remember exactly what we looked at, of course. <laughs> psalm 126. Anyway, it's, it's this kind of strange psalm. It, it's a strange mixture of people rejoicing and yet weeping. Rejoicing because God's brought them back into their land, out of exile, and yet weeping because things were not as easy and as, as great as they had hoped it would be. And so I said three years ago, uh, I said these words, let's see if I can bring them up. Looks like it's not working again. Oh, yeah, here we go. All right. Or maybe not. Maybe that was you. Here, I'll let you. Oops. No, it is me. Hold on a sec. They're not very profound. I know I'm building it up a lot. No. It doesn't want to... All right, I'll just uh, nod to you, Anna, as we go along. So I said, the Christian life is often that strange mix of joy at what God has done and yet weeping and longing for what God, he will to. My guess is 2020 will especially be a year like that for us. Now, I had in mind that it would be joy as we send out the church plant to be involved in God's work, but weeping as we kind of felt the loss of a quarter of us going and taking out that church plant. I had in mind that our struggles in 2020 would be things like church feeling a bit flat and there being extra jobs that needed to get done with less people. I had no idea that actually our struggles were going to be a whole lot bigger than that. Who'd have thought back then that a month later we'd be closing our doors for months and months? Who'd have thought we'd be doing church online and school online and work online and all sorts of things online? Do you remember what the buzzword was back then? Pivot. <laughs> At least it was for me anyway. Even now when I hear that word, pivot, it just makes me a little bit sick and twitchy. But we all had to do it. We all had to pivot and adapt. You did it in your workplace. You did it with the kids schooling. You did it with masks and COVID marshals and quarantining and QR codes and border closures and PCR tests and then rat tests. And it was relentless. We all had to just keep adapting and adapting and adapting. And, and the changes that, that came from COVID, they just kept flowing to all sorts of unexpected areas of life in unexpected ways. Like I can remember soon after COVID hit, inquiring about uh, renting a house that we used to rent in Robe. We used to love renting it. And they said the price had more than doubled. And I still can't quite understand the logic. Like, I thought COVID kind of affected your lungs. I didn't realise that it affected so much else. Apparently now, if you want to buy a lounge chair or a car, it takes months and months, if not a year, and of course, some of the changes we're feeling are not only due to COVID, 
There's been fires and floods and war. But whatever the cause, I wonder if we've become, we've become a little bit numbed to all this change. I wonder if it's kind of made us a little bit dispirited, a bit acquiescent. Your lounge chair is going to take a year to come. Oh well, I guess that's just the way it is now. Your red capsicum is going to cost you $6.90. Okay, I suppose if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. You need to work 60 hours a week because we don't have enough staff. That sounds exhausting, but I guess it makes sense. The house you want to rent, you can't afford it now. And it turns out it doesn't exist anymore anyway. I see. I suppose I'll have to deal with that somehow. We've just had to accept so much that's out of our control and just deal with it. We've just had to adapt and cope with it. And we've had to do so much of that in so many areas of our lives that I can't help but wonder if we've done this in our spiritual lives too. Have changes come into our spiritual lives that we've just accepted, we've just adapted to them, pivoted, and then just carried on. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, in our spiritual lives, are we just acquiescing? Oh well. I guess that's just the way it is now. I guess what I'm really wondering is, is is the time right now for us to take stock and to ask ourselves, have we got things ordered right in our lives? Have we got first things first? Or are we just coasting as if the way things are right now are the way things just have to be? And there's nothing we can or should do to change that. What I want us to do over these next three weeks is to stop and to take stock of where we're at as as a whole church. And I want us to do that by looking at at these three things that we say that we're on about as a church. We can see them up there on the screen. Loving God, loving God's people and leading people to Jesus. We, We... really want to be people who deeply love God and we don't want to just stop there we want to go on to be people who also love God's people we want to go even further we want to be those who lead other people to Jesus every one of us and the reason we're on about these three things is because these are the three things that God wants us to be on about these are the the things he wants us to put first in our lives and and in our church And so over the next three weeks, I want you to stop, take stock and ask yourself, are these things central for me? Have I got first things first? Or do I need to change some things in my life? Or are there changes that I've let into my life that I need to acknowledge? Somewhere along the line, I heard someone say that, you know, 2020, that was the year of pivoting. And then 2021 was the year that that pastors were feeling quite tired by all the pivoting. I think pastors must be the the most uh, fragile or something, so they feel it first. But then 2022, someone said, was the year that members of church felt quite tired from all the pivoting at church. 
And I'm not sure that was quite our situation or not, but I do know that last year was really hard for many of us, with, with sickness making many of us not be able to be here at times, and then people catching up on travel. I mean, there was a lot of filling in at times. And I don't know what 2023 is supposed to be the year for. I guess we've had pastors feeling tired and then members, so it must be up to visitors. So if you're here today, sorry about that. Um, who knows what 2023 is supposed to be, but I want to encourage you to make it not the year that everything goes back to normal, not the year that we forget COVID ever happened. I want to encourage us to make this the year that we make central in our lives loving God, loving God's people, and leading people to Jesus. And I just want to say I'm not presuming to know exactly what that looks like in your life. But my point is, I don't think you should presume to know exactly what that looks like in your life either. Take the time to, to stop, to step back, to reevaluate, to, to pray, to listen to God's word, and to listen to the people that God has placed in your life. So what we're going to do for the next three weeks is, is consider one of each of these central things each week. Loving God this week, loving God's people next week, leading people to Jesus the third week. And today, we're looking at loving God. And what I, what I hope we'll see really clearly is that our love for God and our love for his people and our efforts to lead people to Jesus, all of these only ever flow from the astounding love that he has first shown us. We're going to see this in the book of Revelation in just a moment. But um, just before we hear Mike read it to us, let me just set the scene a little bit for you. It's about the year 90 AD. So it's around 55, 60 years after Jesus died, rose again and went back to heaven. And so the, the apostle John who, who writes this book, who writes Revelation, he's old. He's probably the last of the apostles left alive. And he himself has faced a fair bit of change and turmoil in his life of, of a much more serious kind than what we've faced. John's in prison and he's been put there because he's chosen to worship Jesus and he's refused to worship Caesar and offer a sacrifice to him like they were trying to force people to do. And he and others that he loves have died for this been in prison for this. Everything that John knew and loved and had been working towards has been smashed and sitting there in prison. Maybe God might have seemed a bit small to John if he thought about it. And maybe the Roman rulers would have seemed great. But what we have in the book of Revelation is kind of like a reset what we have in Revelation is God letting John and us see what's really at the center of all things. It's picture language, Revelation. It's kind of like mind-blowing picture language. But it powerfully shows us who is worth living for, who's at the center of all things. It's all about changing our perspective to see what life is all about. So Mike's going to come up now and read for us Revelation 4, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 4. After this, I looked, 
And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on each of them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, but the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was all covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Thanks, Mike. So John sees the highest throne that stands behind everything else. He sees that God's at the centre of everything. And the, the language and imagery that's used is a bit confusing at first, but it doesn't take too much work to see that John is seeing that God's worthy of all praise because he's the author of creation. You know, those four strange creatures around the throne, like a lion, like an ox, like a man, like an eagle, they represent the, the best of all creatures. And they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Holy means separate, distinct, different. And there's no greater way to emphasize something than to, to say it three times. Like if someone says to me, what you did was stupid, 
Okay, that cuts a little bit, right? But if they say what you did was stupid, 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 that cuts a lot more. There, there is no greater way to say that that was complete stupidity. In this picture, to say holy, holy, holy three times, they are saying there is no greater way they could say that God is radically distinct from his creation. And why is he so radically distinct? Because only God is the one who was and is and is to come. Only he has existence independently in and of himself. Whereas creation only has existence in and of him. And so simply by existing, John sees in this vision that all creation, all the world declares God's praises. I mean, if you think about it, even the most vocal atheist, even as they raise their voice against God, simply by existing, depending on God for their existence, they praise him even more loudly than they deny him. It kind of sucks to be an atheist. You just can't win. Outside the, the four creatures, there's this outer ring of 24 elders. This group represents the complete people of God, the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the, the 12 apostles of the church. And notice, the people of God, they also praise God as the author of creation. In verse 11, they constantly say, You are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power. Why? For you created all things. John sees what stands behind everything. He sees what's at the centre of everything. And everything that he sees shows that God alone is worthy to be magnified. All of life is centred on him, whether we realise it or not. And so our purpose in life is to magnify him, to love him. To give him all glory, honour, all power in our lives. Do you see how clear this is? It's so clear. But who can honestly say they've done this? Who can honestly say that they've loved God like this with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, all their mind? None of us actually give God the place that he deserves in our lives and in our hearts. And what this means is that God's purpose for his creation can never be reached. That's what we actually saw when God holds up the scroll in chapter 5. The scroll is God's purpose for his creation. It's his plans for this world. It's covered in writing. It's his complete plans. But the problem is when the angel cries out, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll there's silence and in chapter 5 verse 3 no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it and so John weeps and weeps and it feels a, a, like a bit of a weird response don't you reckon it feels like a little bit unhinged but don't forget for John this is personal He's suffering alone in prison at the hand of the Romans. He's seen his, life work, his life's work smashed. People he loves have been killed. And he weeps and weeps to think that nothing's going to change in this world. 
that as it's always been, it always will be. But you know, it's, it's, it's personal for us too, isn't it? Do you feel the weight of the problems of this world? Do you feel the weight of relationships break, breaking down around us at times? Or sickness? Or the death and the suffering and the evil that we see? In some ways, COVID and, and the kind of annoying changes that we've faced, they're nothing compared to so much of the mess that we face in this world. I was chatting to someone this week whose adult child will have almost nothing to do with them. Seems because of issues coming out of mental health originally, she's pretty much just cut them off. Won't do Christmas. In fact, she's moving state. She barely even told them that she's moving. They offered to help. She's not interested. All of us feel the, the touch of the dark side of this world at times. And at those times, we, we clearly feel that we're made for so much more than this. We're made for a greater purpose. But none of us are worthy to do anything about it. Because we all are a part of the problem. We all play our part in wrecking God's purpose. Because we all give glory and honour and power to all sorts of things other than the Creator. We've all loved the gifts far more than we've loved the giver. We've all downplayed God's throne. In fact, at times we've all stood in defiance of it. And hear this, the effect of that is the suffering and the darkness we see in our world. The effect of us cutting God off in our lives is this world that's lost its purpose. If you're new to going to church, then this is probably also a new idea to you. And you won't hear this truth anywhere else outside the Bible. So hear it now. God says to you, your treatment of him, your treatment of his world is offensive to him. And he says it absolutely deserves your death and judgment. Now it's at this low point that John sees something new and Mike's going to come up and, and read the next part for us from Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Thanks, Mike. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, 
you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Thanks, Mike. John's told not to weep because someone's triumphed. He's told to look for a, a lion, a mighty ruler. And so we expect to see a conqueror looking victorious, returning from battle. So John turns and he looks, but what does he see? He sees a lamb looking slain. Right there at the center of the action. Right there at the center of the throne. Standing at the center of all things. Is a lamb who was previously killed. Do you see what this means? I mean, here we're being ushered into the very heart of God in this picture. What it means is the God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who is completely outside of his creation steps into his creation to fight for it. To fight for the purpose of his creation he has for it. But he does it in a completely unexpected way. He fights for his world as a lamb. He overthrows death by redeeming people from death. He fights not against us, but for us by taking our place with his own death in Jesus. This is the way God fights. And at first it kind of seems ridiculous. That he could have sat in his ivory tower, completely enthroned and separate as the true ruler. But instead, he's the God who refuses to let anything stop his purposes for his creation. And what's his purpose? Well, it's to win for himself a a people who will joyfully, willingly, freely love him forever. Do you see why, as a church, we're on about loving God? Doesn't what Jesus has done for you make you want to love him? Doesn't it it move your heart like nothing else can? It certainly moves heaven to worship. As the lamb takes the scroll, suddenly in that, that ancient throne room, that ancient song that has always been sung over and over again, ceases and a new song is sung. 
Now God is magnified, not simply as the author of creation, but now as the author of salvation. They sing to the Lamb in verse 9. They sing, you were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and nation and people. And the circle expands, verse 11. They're joined by millions of angels. And then finally, all creation in verse 13 joins in magnifying Jesus. That's the destiny of our world when he comes back. The Lamb leads this world from war to worship. And if we trust in Jesus, that's our destiny too. Saved from God's judgment. To praise him for all eternity. That's our destiny. But it isn't just future, is it? God has won our hearts to praise him now. Jesus calls us to know him and love him and live for him even now. And so this really does need to be what is big in our church, what's central. This drives everything else. It needs to drive everything else. We love God because he loved us. And because he loves us, and because we love him, that's why we love his people. It's why we want to lead other people to him. This matters for every single one of us here at church, from kids to youth to adults. And it matters for us as a whole church as we do things as well. Now, I, I, I started at the beginning by asking, have we acquiesced spiritually? Have we had to pivot in so many ways that we've, we've also changed spiritually, maybe without even noticing it? If we honestly took stock of our lives and our hearts, is loving God still there at the center of who we are and what we're on about? It's easy to say in our minds, loving God is central. But to hold that in truth, in our hearts and, and in our lives, that's hard. It's hard even to take stock, don't you reckon, and, and to even be able to evaluate if we really are living all for Jesus. You know, we are those who believe that every aspect of our lives is about Jesus. Every single thing done is done for him. Jesus is not a part of our lives. He is our life. He is our purpose, our, our goal, our means, our joy, our everything. Now, if you're a believer and if you're honest then what I'm saying should be actually incredibly uncomfortable to you right now. Not because you don't believe it, but because you know, like, like I know, my life and my heart, they, they don't always line up with this truth. You know, if, if, if I were to ask your kids, what does mum or dad think that life is all about? Would they say loving Jesus? If we did that during the all-ages spot... I'd be fine with that as long as no one asked my kids. It's, it's slightly terrifying. Because even though we're, we're so moved by God, to love God, by what he's done for us, it's still so hard to keep this central, don't you think? And let me say, that's exactly why, as a church, we're on about loving God. Not because we're so good at this, but because we need to help each other keep loving God. Stephen McAlpine 
some of you might know, he's um, written a book that some of us have read called Being the Bad Guys. Um, he's a writer from Perth. He visited Adelaide last year and he's actually going to be speaking to us at the combined service later this year when we combine with the other churches in the north as well. When he was here in Adelaide, he, he said the world has an extremely effective discipleship program. Turn on Netflix and there's some powerful discipling happening right there. Get on Facebook or Instagram, get on the web, on a forum. The world's discipleship program is, is, is extremely effective and we carry it around in our pockets, right? Our kids carry it around in their pockets. And he writes this about it. I think there's a slide which might be able to come up as well. He writes, The drawing power of the secular discipleship program has such an immediately vivid and compelling nature that it sticks to us and is hard to shake. It is spiritual napalm for the soul. And then he says, and it's discipling us. Not on the basis of any intellectual argument, but on a deeply subterranean emotional level. Our world's discipleship program wants you to get this message central in your life. Love yourself for who you are. Fulfill yourself. And then flowing from this, love others by letting them fulfill themselves. And if you want to stretch it, lead others to love themselves. You know, what can compete with that kind of message? What can compete with every movie, book, TV show, unicorse even, espousing that message so stylistically, emotionally and compellingly? Well, I'll tell you what can compete. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain out of love for a people who have stopped loving God and have loved self, that can compete. The gospel message is powerful, it's beautiful, and it's life-changing. But it really does need to be spoken to our hearts, and it needs to be spoken over and over again, or otherwise we won't hear it at all. And this is more true today than it has ever been. You know, probably the biggest way that we've acquiesced spiritually, not just over the last three years of COVID, I reckon probably over the last three decades, actually. The biggest way we've acquiesced is if we've, we've cluttered our lives with all sorts of things that actually crowd us out of hearing this message over and over again, week in, week out, daily. And we've become okay with that. Do you know why we, we say as a church to be here every week you possibly can? It's because every Sunday is about hearing over and over again that love of self is not at the centre of who you are. It's not at the centre of reality. Every Sunday through hearing the Bible, through singing, through prayers, through our conversations, it's all about hearing again and again that life is all about God. That Jesus, who loves you and gave himself up for you, is what it's all about. It's why we say being in a community group every week that you possibly can. It's, it's the same reason. In a community group, you've got people 
who can speak God's word into your life. If you, if you open up your life, they can speak God's word into your life probably better place than anyone else again and again, week in, week out. That's why we say open God's word daily because every day we're going to hear something that tells us to brush God to the side and put something central that's rubbish compared to his glory and honour and power. Now as a church... Um, we're very fortunate we have Sally uh, working for us and, and her role is especially about helping us think about how we can keep loving God central. Uh, she particularly focuses on trying to help us do that by what happens here on a Sunday. She thinks about how our, our Sundays together can help our love for God spill out into our, our weeks, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our hobbies. And on the, on the flip side, she thinks about how our love for God individually can kind of flow together when we come together to praise God's name with one voice. And, and Sally, she does an excellent job of that, doesn't she? But what I'm saying today is it's actually a job for all of us. We need each other as a church family to help each other keep central in our lives loving God. I don't know how to say this any clearer, but you need it. You need it here. You need it in your community group. You need it in the day-to-day lives of each other. And more and more these days, you meet people who say that they love God, but they're not interested in meeting with God's people. They just want to go it alone. But scratch the surface, and what you find is it's not love of God that's driving them to walk alone without a church family. It's actually the world's gospel that drives that. It's the world's gospel that says, just do whatever fulfills you. Just be true to you. You don't need other people. We do need each other. When we don't live alongside each other, when we don't live alongside other people living for Jesus, it's actually so easy to kid ourselves. Without others, we build our lives around whatever fulfills me, or we build our lives around the kids and whatever keeps them happy. Or sport being central, and God can just fit in around the edges of that. Or we build in money, work, pleasure, travel as central. But with each other, we're reminded that life is about Jesus. Life is built around Him. So let me finish today with this final thought what i am not asking you to do is to add another priority to your list of priorities and you're thinking how on earth am i going to fit that in that is not what i'm asking you to do i'm asking you to take stock as to whether this priority loving god is right there at the center driving every other priority It's loving God right there at the center. And if not, I'm asking you to make 2023 the year where you you make loving God central and where you let everything else in your life fall down at his feet. Let me pray for us. Father, give us such a vision of what is at the center of all reality that you are. 
You are in that gospel story of in Christ Jesus, you coming to this world in order to lift us up out of the misery and death and punishment that we deserve into eternal life and eternal bliss. Father, help us to resist the evil gospel that would say that fulfilling ourselves is the ultimate good. What a joke compared to you. Help us to see that all glory, honour and power really does sit with you and that our lives are eternally enriched as we see your glory and as we live for your glory. Lord, move our hearts to love you by your spirit at work within us. We pray and we ask that you would help us to help each other in this calling as well, to help each other love you more and more as we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray in his name. Amen.